0: I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on Jar Jar Country. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge leaders and elders, past, present and future. Thank you. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. I'm your host, Gail Wilson, and together we will go through a series of storytelling, conversations, and strategies about leaning into life's lessons, the good, the bad, and the downright painful. As we journey back to ourselves and back to our intuition, through the lens of witness and reflection, we will work our way through a series of raw, stripped-back, relatable topics and personal experiences. There will be laughter, tears, and the occasional swear word because, hey, life is too short to hold back. So come along with me on this journey and let's talk life. You can follow and subscribe to Soul Care Bendigo's Naked to get notifications for upcoming episodes as they land in your space. So lend me your ears and your heart as we go through this journey together. Hello, hello, and this is episode one of Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. I am your host, Gail Wilson, and it is my absolute pleasure to have you today, listening along to some of these stories and these conversations that will lead into our future. Today's episode is about growing up on Australian TV sets and how that led to my career in hairdressing. Whoa, has this career been a ride. I have loved every minute of it. And interesting enough, it was actually really not about the hair and more about the connections and the conversations that came along the way from the six-year-old, three-year-olds through until the 95-year-olds. Every single person has got something to share and a story that they want to just get to know you with. Men, women, it didn't matter. They were the same human that sat in the chair over and over again. And the trust that they gave through me, through touch, was really, really special. So when I was a kid, I grew up with my brother and my sister and my two parents. My brother was five years older than me and my sister is 18 months younger than me. We grew up in an old Victorian weatherboard home that was over a hundred years old by the time we moved in there, and that was in regional Victoria, in a town called Bendigo. It was a fairly happy family, a typical. If you ever watched the TV show Roseanne, our family was very much like that, as in just the right amount of camaraderie, connection, friendship, and dysfunction <laughs> is probably the best way I put it. My brother and sister and I, while I have memories of all the fights and all the dobbing and all the setting each other up. I also do have lots of great memories of fun and games and adventures and tadpolling and, dare I say, playing on the railway line near our house, which we knew the train timetable, so that wasn't particularly dangerous for us back then. And really how the differences in each of our perception of childhood is really interesting. So I'm a glass half full kind of girl. I'm bubbly. I'm bright. I see the positive in everything it's been a really great mechanism that's got me through a lot of hardships in life but it also meant that my perception of our childhood is different to my siblings neither worse nor bad just that i certainly was able to be a little bit a little bit clueless like i think i was the healthy amount of clueless and kind of not really observant of what was going on around me and so my older brother was privy to more information than i so he probably had a little bit more of a stressful upbringing in that he had that responsibility of the older sibling stuff and that awareness And then my younger sister, of course, was beyond favoured, protected by her horrible big older siblings. And she had some tough times in our childhood that I also was totally oblivious to. And so it's just one of those things. There's so much about me that is witty, smart, turned on, switched on. But there's other stuff where I'm just kind of oblivious. And it's probably served me well, to be honest, because I think my heart would have been a little bit heavier if I had known the stuff that was going on for everybody else. In this small town, we were a part of the football teams and the netball teams and really the basketball was a massive part of our life growing up. We have a fairly well-known basketball stadium in our town and it is where we would spend most of our weekends if we weren't having barbecues or socialising at our friends' houses with their kids. So my mum and dad were pretty social people. They were happy to have a chat. They were involved in lots of things around town and in committees and my dad had a bit of a connection with local parliament as someone who loved to give his opinion on how they could fix it. Also, as part of our childhood, which is probably different to a lot of other people's, so my mum and dad owned what's called a casting agency. And this is for Australian television, series, movies, and commercials. And what that means is it was their job to find actors and extras to help fill the casting calls for a show when it's getting filmed. And so We did this as a family. So my mum and dad were paid as actors and our three kids were paid as actors. And what that looked like was that, say, for example, a new TV series was getting filmed. They would put a call out to all the casting agencies looking for a particular age, a particular look, and you were to fulfill that character. So we were always extras, which meant we were in the background. And then we could still live a reasonably normal life, you know, going to school and playing sports. It wasn't too much of a commitment. But it was one of those things that if one was doing it, everyone had to do it because the locations were quite remote and you wouldn't always get back for school pickup. And so all of us were signed on to work on these TV shows and movies. And what that would be is all of us would be getting up super early in the morning, often four thirty, five 5 o'clock would be getting put in the car and would be driven to some town or an actual prefabricated town. So back in the day, which was mid-80s, early 90s, we didn't actually really do any work in the studio. It was all in historic towns or what would happen is a production company will have actually built a set. So, for example, one of those would be the series The Man from Snowy River. That was filmed mostly in Trentham and you look like you drove up to this gate that had nothing there and then beyond that on the side of a hill they had built this really substantial township I think it's actually still standing today, but I don't think you can get access to it. So from the frontage, you would see all the buildings and all the verandas, and this was obviously a period film based in the past of Australian sort of settlement and country life, but only maybe 50% of the buildings were totally purpose built for those scenes. So the school was built, the general store was built, the pub and the hall were all solid buildings, but the rest of them would only have the front and potentially only the side and the rest of it was just blank. It was just the foundations to support the front facade of that building to look like a busy town. And so we'd all get booked, mum and dad and us three kids, and we'd get in the car and we'd arrive on set. Often it was still black, definitely freezing. And we would arrive to the casting agent who would tell us what our characters were going to be and what scenes we were going to be in that day. Then we'd get taken to the wardrobe department. And it was amazing. It was like stepping back in time. So obviously, back then, I can't remember what year this TV series was based on, but basically it was a totally different wardrobe to what we were wearing in the 90s and the 80s, and it was many, many layers, unusual shoes. And so when you stepped into these spaces, they were often ran by the most creative, unorthodox, they really were, like such phenomenal researchers and gatherers, gatherers of all these goods to make sure the story that was getting told was authentic. And so we'd go in there and we'd get layered up and rugged up and trussed up and then they'd take a photo of you so that if you came back to shoot more scenes the next day, there had to be continuity in your look. It's really interesting when you've worked in this industry and you watch films, you watch it from the storytelling point of view, but you also watch it for someone who knows about continuity. And it's so many times I see a film and they'll have a leading actor in one shirt in one scene and then I'll cut and then you'll say, oh, whoopsie, the wardrobe department made a mistake there. He's in a different shirt so that continuity hasn't continued over our teams were really big on that especially doing a period film so you would wear the exact same costume the next day or they'd make sure that if you were wearing it they'd mix it up with someone else so it didn't look like the same outfit on every kid every time they were in the show so then we would go into the hairdressing trailer now this is where my career in hairdressing really got the first spark lit so we'd go in and depending on the scene, we would get our hair done. Some days it was just simply two piggy tails for a school scene. There was a scene that it had a bit of drama, our hair would be mucked up. If a couple of the scenes were doing a fight scene, a couple of the kids, then their hair would be rubbed with dirt and their face would be rubbed with dirt. And so it was all about embodying what role you are playing and what scene you are doing that day. And it was really fascinating for me because obviously the leading actors were all famous people. And so you watched them like a hawk as they moved around set and as they integrated and and some were super friendly. They would chat and they were really lovely and they'd give autographs and they'd do all those sorts of things. And then some were jerks. There's not really any way to say it. They were rude. They were obnoxious. They were very dismissive of people. And that was just the way it was. You kind of just left them to it. And so what would happen is we'd see these leading actors or I would in particular would watch these leading actors, particularly the female cast, go into these trailers and they would be like beyond exhausted. They've probably done a 12 or 15 hour day shooting the day before, not had a lot of sleep, probably not even had breakfast yet because they've just opened their eyes and walked straight to the trailer. And what that would look like is you know, disheveled and swollen eyes and grumpy, like really grumpy, almost resentful of this process that they had to go through. But then if you waited and you sat and you watched and you saw who came out of that trailer, this character that they were stepping into, this new existence, it was so magical, so, so magical. They'd walk out taller. They'd look like they'd step back in time. They were beautiful. They were vibrant. They were far more happy to chat afterwards and initially, I used to think that was all about just the looks, that they looked prettier, so they felt prettier, so then they were nicer. But obviously, as I've gotten older, I've realized that it was actually about the connection. It was probably also about that someone was touching them in that grooming process and that they felt, you know, cared for and supported. And that is a big part of hairdressing. The hair is one element of it, but honestly, it's the smallest percentage. And so let me say when it's the right hairdresser. So I'd watch these people come out and I'd just be in awe and I'd be like, I want to do that. I want to create that feeling for someone. I want someone to feel amazing and give them makeovers and help them feel brighter and younger and you know three inches taller. I want to do that. That's what I want to do. And then the next step is that, say, for example, might I add that when our family got called and cast to work on these shows, we never actually worked as a family. So Dad might and mum might pretend to be a couple that walk down the street. Us kids would often be doing scenes where we're sitting in a school at a desk. And so we weren't ever kind of working together. We were sort of split as they were filming different things. And, of course, there's a lot of waiting around with acting. There's a lot of waiting around for the extras while they wait for one scene to get done from multiple different angles. And then once the director is happy that he's got the vision he wants for that particular story told moment, then we move on to the next scene. But if they call cut, what would happen is all the hairdressers with their big tool belts would race out and perfect and primp and prime all the different characters all the way around, and it was done with such speed and accuracy. A whiff of hairspray here, and a brush of a curl there, and a loosen up a braid, and more dirt shoved into a kid's hair. Like it was, it was so important, and it was so respected within the industry. That it was just this real, again, keeping that continuity, keeping the storyline, making sure if they've noticed a fringe has fallen out, they're straight back in there and they're pulling that back. And I loved watching it. I loved looking, I loved how important they look. And I loved how the whole world didn't stop for them, but they were given that grace to do their job well. Again, I was just like, I want to do that. So how did that feel in my body? It felt warm. It felt like Tingles on my skin. It felt like butterflies in my belly. It had me smiling, and it had me wondering, and wanting, and yearning, which are all really great things. And I've had those feelings throughout my life, and I know they mean I'm heading in the right direction. Whether you see it's an ordained destiny or whether it's the you know divine intervention, I just knew in my heart that that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to be a part of, and so as we worked through different TV shows and different commercials and different movies, it was the same. It was the same experience on all of them. And later on in my life, what happened is my mum was reading a newspaper. And at that time I was working for Good Old Hungry Jacks and I was finishing up year 10. And I had enrolled to go and do VCE at our local college and had also signed up to do the hairdressing course that's a part of, I'm not sure what it's called now, but Maybe VCAL or something like that, where you do your VCE over an extended time and you also learn a trade. So I'd paid for that. We'd done it all and we we're going to go ahead with that. And then Mum, one morning, called out to me, Gail, Gail, come here, come here. And I just said, Oh, what's wrong? And she goes, There's a job. There's a job in the paper. It's for an apprenticeship and it's at a really fancy salon. I think you should go for it. So just by looking at the look on her face, I knew that she was experiencing those same feelings I had potential, wonder, excitement. And she was so excited for me. And she read out the ad to me, and I knew that, you know, I quickly weighed up the skills that I needed. I talked them over with my mom. I'd been working at Hungry Jacks for more than a year. I had done customer service, I'd done ordering, I'd done speed. I knew what it was like to have a boss. I knew back then I was only working a small amount of hours because I was still working in year 10. But I knew the working life. And I said to Mum, But I'm meant to be doing VCE. And she's like, This is what you're meant to be doing. This is it. It's like you know that you're good at it, you're dabbling in it, you know, shoving some bleach on some friends' hair every now and again. And she's like, This is what you're meant to be doing. Like, just go for it. Don't worry about the course. Don't worry about VCE. Just go for the job and we'll see what happens. And so that was also timed with when I had cut my hair off. So I'd had long hair for my year ten graduation. And I think On the Monday after that Friday, I went and cut all my hair off into a pixie cut that was very similar to what was being worn on Home and Away in the late 90s. And I was just, I just wanted it all gone. It was like I was transitioning from who I was at school and then who I was stepping into in the next phase of my life. And when I went for that job interview, he said to me, I love that you were brave enough to go for short hair. It tells me that you're able to keep up with the trends, that you're interested in hair that you're not just a ponytail girl. And so I went for the job interview. First of all, there were 70 of us that applied. It was done as group interviews, um, was his process initially. And then from there, I got a call back and then I got another call back and then I got the apprenticeship and I started, which was awesome. And I was so lucky that when I started my apprenticeship, I was given the most amazing boss and mentor, a gentleman who was, let me say, in his late 40s. Uh, maybe older, maybe yeah, no late forties. So he had a daughter who was also my age, and then a daughter a little bit older again, and a wife. And his wife was the happened to be the hairdressing teacher at the local tape where I was going to be learning the skills while I worked um, in that job. So I really had this beautiful family environment. And my mum was right; it's fancy. Back in 1997, you know, back way back then, they were charging 150 dollars for some of their cuts and colors. And that's what, 24 years ago, it is so insane to think that I've been working for 24 years in this industry. And I've only had that salon. And then I worked when he sold the business and some new owners came in, I got approached from some clients who were looking at opening up a very on-trend, modern men's only salon with TV and sports. And I was given an assistant management opportunity. So I went for it knowing that in the future they were going to open a female salon next door so I'd still be able to have both worlds of the hairdressing. Might I say that the men's hairdressing was the most eye-opening experience in realising that men have just as many feelings, just as much yearning as women and in that environment with the right stylist, yeah, you are a counsellor and you do hear stories and you do hear fears And you do hear potential. And I just realized that guy after guy after guy, maybe 5% didn't want to talk. And they were happy just to sit and read the paper and relax. But men were just as chatty as the females, just as open to ideas, easily happy to try something new. And it really kind of exposed me to men. And I love men. I think men are amazing. I love their point of view. I love how they don't over-process things. And I realized also that men can carry just as much wounding as women, which means that you can still get some really great vulnerable conversations if you ask the right questions. And I was in that job for eight years. No, sorry. So I was at Rodney John, the first salon in our town for eight years. And then I went to Shed Seven and I was there for nearly five years. So assistant manager for the first two or three, and then the manager for both salons for the final few years until I got married and got pregnant. and then. I had a baby that decided to come very, very early. So a perfectly wonderful pregnancy. went into labor at 27 weeks. Left work on the Saturday, totally fine. Sunday night during the brown low, I went into labor. Monday, I was at the Royal Women's trying to keep a baby in. And that's a whole other story for another time. Let's get back to hairdressing, shall we? Forgive me for when I do get a little distracted from my thoughts. And so, yes, the hairdressing, I got the career. I have then was at Shed 7 for four years. I had my babies. I had opened a salon at home. And that's where I've been for the last 13 years. And you know that warm, fuzzy feeling I was talking about? Well, recently, there's been more of them coming up in the last two years. And I've realized that through a lot of personal development, a lot of conferences, a lot of women's retreats, that there is a new calling for me, which is Soul Care Bendigo. It's a new business that I've started. So I'm still doing a little bit of hair, but that is finishing in November, the end of a big, long career. It is heartbreaking for some of my clients. It is stressful for some of my clients. Working from home means that I have been flexible to raise my children at home while I worked. I could do my housework at home so that when my husband got home and my kids got in from school, I could 100% be a part of their lives. And it's been a safe little cancooner for me and my clients throughout that time, men and women still. I'm super busy, you know, still three days a week, full on booked out for multiple weeks in advance, very rare cancellations. It's been so successful and I've been so blessed with such a lovely experience in hairdressing. But this warm feeling that I was talking about, this potential, this yearning for this new wellness experience to bring women back out of their Joy was all from my conversations in hairdressing and with men, and this data that I've collected over the last 24 years about feelings, about how families are really doing behind closed doors, how marriages are really doing behind closed doors, how humans are really doing in their own private space. And let's say 70% of the time their life's pretty good and they're doing well and they feel like their adulting is on par. The 30% where it's not good, it's really fucking awful. Like it's really awful where people are. Oh gosh, in the worst of circumstances, you know, double guessing themselves, double guessing their lives, double guessing their marriages, double guessing their ability to go forward. And that for me was heartbreaking. And I'll tell you a story about when, you know, on this mindset and how hairdressing has probably kept me really humble because I have spoken and spent time with people from all different walks of life, careers, incomes, earnings and realize that sometimes the people who look the richest are the poorest and sometimes people who look the poorest are the richest. Not that anyone gives a shit, but it's that perception. And that's where I'm like, oh, not everything is as it appears, which we've heard that saying a lot, but what does it actually mean and how dark does that actually go? And so once I had this friend of mine and he answered the phone to him and I'd say, hi, how are you going? I'm always quite bubbly. Don't get me wrong. I have some moments that are a bit dark and dark and I can crack the shits and go gangster on my kids real fucking quick if I need to. But most of all, I'm a lighthearted, bubbly person who sees the best in everyone and everything. And I will live that way until the rest of my life because I would rather get burnt and give you a chance than give you nothing and miss an opportunity. And so I was talking to this friend and I was having a chat and he said to me, you can't be this happy. And I said, yeah, hi." And he goes, no, 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 no one's this happy. No one's this happy. He goes, do you know what's going to happen? One day you're going to crack and you're going to drag someone into the woods and you're going to murder them. And I went, wow, why would you say that? And he's like, because you just can't be this happy all the time. Life can't be this good. Life's got some fucked up things. And I remember thinking, oh, my God. First of all, how savage, savage for him to suggest that That's what I would do, as in that's what a super happy person does, that it's fake. But I actually was just that happy. And it got me thinking, wait, doesn't everyone feel this good, fairly regularly, that you actually doubt someone else's happiness and how sincere it is? And then I went, whoa, hang on a minute. Again, remember, going back to earlier Gail, who kind of was a bit oblivious to things around her because I'm a Pisces and I've got roast glasses and I live in my little Gail bubble. And I was like, "Wait, wait, what? People aren't happy? What's going on? If have I been under a rock? What's happening? I know that there's stuff going on in the world, and I know there's terrible mental illness in society, but wait, aren't the rest of us kind of okay?" And then that got me thinking. And then when I started having conversations with my clients and listening, and I went, "Wow, OK. He, while he was savage and a bit brutal, He kind of gave me a different lens on how to look at the world and opened up my insight into not just being in my gale bubble and what people are saying when you really read between the lines. And so hairdressing became a totally different perspective for me, listening to people, engaging in them, asking different questions, nurturing in a different way. And it gave my hairdressing... A different focus altogether. Sure, I'll throw some foils in. Sure, you want to go blonde? I'll take you blonde. Oh, you want to go dark this month? That's fine, I'll take you dark. But the bits in between, the conversations, the pauses, the looks on their face when they arrive at the door, when they realize no one's looking, how they might come in really flustered or frustrated or angry. And then when they sit in that chair and their shoulders sink and you give them a smile in the mirror, that real genuine look you get back that they're happy to be there. And that's why hairdressing has been such a beautiful, easy career to do. And it's been such a wonderful lesson for me. So let's have a look at, on the end of every episode, I'm going to do what's called a little pocket rocket reflection. And this will be my little takeaway from this life lesson and this experience. So first of all, I will say, when you feel that hum through your body, that resonates into warmth, that makes your butterflies and your tummy dance, that makes you smile, that is your whole soul and your whole being saying, yes, yes, this is the right thing for me. As long as you're not harming yourself or anyone else, be curious to that, honour that, give it more time, say yes to it more often. If yours has gone a bit dull, If you've said no to it a lot of times, if your brain kicks in and it tries to intervene to any potential for you, you can talk back to it. You can question your brain. You can question your ego. You can question your fear. You can do all of those things. And so have a feeling of those sensations. Is it a warmth rising within you? Is it a fizziness in your tummy? Does it make you smile? Does it make you think what if or wonder or potential? And then it's that, who do I need to reach out to to get this to happen? Because, folks, we do not need to do anything by ourselves. There is a network of people. And when you follow that feeling and you follow those doors opening up for you, it becomes effortless, streamlined. And the times when a door gets knocked into your face, it's the universe saying, not that way, got another way for you. Don't take it as rejection. Don't take it as a setback. Just find the next way. It just wasn't that way that time. And that's what hairdressing was for me a door that kept opening and opening and opening. And that's where I landed. And man, what a fantastic career I've had. And what amazing humans I've got to meet and make friendships with and see generation after generation be born and be introduced to different bloodlines. It's been wonderful. So that's my career so far. And as I step into my new one, it has all the same feelings. The same doors are being opened up, the same potential, possibility, new lovely faces. And so I thank you for listening. And I hope that when you feel those warm feelings within yourself, you really honor them. You really sit with them and enjoy them. They feel good. They feel nice. Enjoy them. Don't shy away from them. Don't let your brain tell you not to feel them. Let that energy inside you bubble and sit in that wonder and think about the potential. Write it down, write a list, write it down because it will steer you well. Thank you, my friends. I hope you have a great rest of the week, whatever the day of the week is that you're listening to this. And as always, I'm so thankful to have you as a listener. Take care and enjoy those feelings. And that's all for today, folks. As always, thank you for lending me your ears and your hearts. I feel so grateful and blessed to be able to share these stories with you and bring us together as a community. This is Gail Wilson and this is Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. Don't forget to follow and subscribe so that you get notifications on the next episode as it lands. Take care and just be kind to yourself.